We have Joe with us sharing the word today, which is exciting. So we have a Catholic and a Pentecostal in an Anglican church leading the service. What could go wrong? <laughs> I mean, anything could happen and it probably will. <laughs> but we're looking forward to Joe sharing with us, which he's going to jump up in just a minute. I live with uh, Joe and Sarah across the road. And um, it's been so cool getting to know them. I know Joe leads the worship team here now. And um, he's continuing our series on heroes. And the last two to three weeks, we've been looking at just heroes from the Old Testament and the lessons that we can learn from, the inspiration of faith that we can take from them. They're sort of dubbed as the heroes of faith in Romans chapter 11. And, and I'm not going to steal his thunder, but Joe today is talking about uh, David. And I um, couldn't really think of anyone better to speak about David because Joe is uh, really a man after God's own heart in so many ways. He's a worship leader and all that stuff too. And um, so he is going to be sharing from David today. So why don't you give him a hand as he comes to the platform with us. Thanks, Simon. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. Um, I'm Joe, as Simon said. Uh, I first kind of connected with this church and came along back in the first half of last year. I'm part of a worship collective called One Hope Project, and we were looking for a space to do a worship day, which was just encouraging people in worship and creativity. And um, through some of the connections and friends, um, we met Phil, and he showed us around this great space and this great church. And so um, last year, we did a couple of worship nights here together, and then in September last year, we held a worship day here and just started to get to know Phil and the church here. And then about March this year... Um, my wife Sarah and I started coming along um, to the church, moved in across the road with Simon um, and Jesse, his wife, and um, yeah, just started getting involved more in the life of the church and, and, and being on team here. And it's been such a privilege to get involved. One Hope Project's heart is all about worship and prayer and calling people to kind of the throne room of God and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And um, so to get involved a little bit more in that here and what God's already doing and in championing that and encourage that has just been such a privilege. And I just, I really love this church. I love the family feel and the family vibe that we have here. The connect groups are great. I love the heart for the wider community and wanted to see God impact the people in this area and want to make a real difference here. And there's a, just a fantastic and passionate team that are really just willing to serve and wanting to serve the people that come to this church in this local area. So it's been so exciting for us to be a part of this. It's very different to our kind of home church and the church that we grew up in and, and the church that we really belong to. So it's just been great. I'm just like, oh, looking at the different things that, that happen here and that go on, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. We've not done it like before. Or oh, I'd love to see this work maybe in a Catholic context. And I'm just learning so much from you all. So thank you so much. Another thing that's really exciting is this summer series on heroes of the faith. I'm absolutely loving it. What a great thing to do over the summer. And um, I just really enjoyed diving into David over the last week as I was preparing this talk. So a few weeks ago, we had Philippa, who shared with us about Joshua, called by God to be bold and courageous to lead God's people into the promised land. Then last week, I wasn't here, but I was catching up with Simon a little bit, on Jacob, 
talking about identity, and so much so that he wrestled with God, and that that wrestling with God and wrestling with who he was defined who he was as he led um, his life and went after God. He was defined by who he was in the Lord. So I really want to share about David. There is so much in this story and actually there's so much that I wanted to share on and I could do the whole talk just on worship but I wanted to pull out a few different other bits as well that I got from reading that amazing story. So just to put it in a little bit of context, the people of Israel led out of Egypt by Moses and then they took the promised land with Joshua and then when in the promised land they started to kind of divide up into different tribes and settled in different areas. And at this time, God raised up judges to govern the people and just to kind of lead God's people in that way. There was lots of years of kind of being faithful and coming back to God. And at the end of a long period, God calls up Samuel. Um, And Samuel's like the last of the judges, really, but he was also a prophet. He was anointed to share God's word with the people of Israel. And um, even though The people of Israel had Samuel who was sharing God's heart um, with them and spoke to God on behalf of the people. They um, still got a little bit grumbly and they were looking at the other nations and they were saying, oh, um, we want a king like them. These other nations have a king. We don't have a king. We want a king. So Samuel goes to the Lord and said, look, they want a king. And God says, okay, um, I want you to anoint Saul to be raised up as king for the people of Israel. And so he raises up Saul, but Saul is like, on the face of it, quite a good fit. He's a kind of strong warrior, good in battle, but actually his kingship is all about him. It makes it all about him. He makes it all about him. And so God's not massively pleased with that. We want to turn to the Lord as king and not Saul as our king. So he's not a great king. So God actually then asks Samuel to anoint somebody else as king. And this is where David steps in. So let me just read. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and a fine appearance and had handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. I'm going to pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you that you speak to us. And thank you that you are here. Lord, would you open our hearts again this morning to hear from you. And Lord, what we hear and see and experience this morning, may it change the way we live for your glory. Amen. Amen. Sarah and I were down in Cornwall this uh, week with my family. It's beautiful down there. I don't know if you've ever been to Cornwall. The coastline is absolutely gorgeous. We were down in Penzance, which is... um, Hey, someone from Penzance. Amazing. Oh, it's beautiful down there. Absolutely love it. But it's a long way, isn't it? You get to Exeter, and then you're still going. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we were in the car for, what, seven, eight hours yesterday coming back. Such a long way, but worth it when you're down there. I mean, proper Poldark country. Has anyone seen Poldark? I love Poldark. We kept expecting him to see riding on his horse across this coastline, yeah, and and the cliffs. And we were really close to a beautiful mine that was there, Wheel Leisure, one of those. Beautiful old tin mine that sat on the edge of this kind of cove and cliff. And um, where we were staying, we were staying in this little place called Rinzi. It was a tiny, tiny little kind of gathering of houses. I don't even know you call it a village. It was just like a, a group of a few houses. And you, you walk down past this beautiful tin mine. Um, and then down there was this tiny kind of cove with a tiny little beach down on there. And um, the tide was quite strong in this little cove. And when it was out, you had a really good stretch of sand. And you could go swim in, have a chill on the beach. But when the tide was up, it covered the whole of this cove. And you couldn't see the sand anymore. And I was thinking about how when the tide comes in completely, the landscape is completely changed. The landscape is completely different. I was thinking about how when we're anointed by God and he washes us with his love, his mercy, his grace, and the power of his spirit, the landscape of our lives can look completely different and can be better in a good way. So to be open to God and the Holy Spirit, to be called and anointed by him can completely change the landscape of our lives for the better. I don't think my analogy completely holds up all the way because Sarah in the waves on one of the days and got a little bit tumbled by some of the waves. I'm not quite sure how I bring that into analogy. Maybe God wants to shake us about a little bit sometimes. But she was being like much braver than I because last year I went surfing for the first time down in 
uh, Nuki down there as well. Um, and I dislocated my shoulder surfing. So I was like there in the kind of little waves as they were hitting and Sarah was like running in, doing a pretty good job of jumping some of these waves that were coming quite big. But then she was chatting to my brother, Will, and the wave came and hit her on the head and she completely tumbled, which was absolutely hilarious. So I'm not quite sure how when the tide comes in and the wave comes in, that analogy holds up because you did get a little bit rocked. But I love that image of how when we allow the Lord to wash over our lives, of his presence and his goodness, the landscape can change. And we're all called by God and given a purpose. It says that God's spirit stayed with David. We really need the Holy Spirit in our lives. He isn't an optional extra for the people that like the kind of charismatic style of worship. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is somebody that we can build and grow in relationship with. He is our helper, our guide, and our power for this walk with the Lord. And we say yes to him and his power working in our lives to grow in in this way. And I think for lots of us, definitely for me, I think sometimes what we feel is like, oh, actually, God's anointing and to be called by God and God's power isn't really for me. It's for the people that are ordained or it's for the people that are much holier than I am, or it's for my older brother who's better looking and a better warrior. And I think we sometimes think I can't lead in church or I can't go out and do God's will just because it's not really for me. But the call of God for our life and the anointing of God and the power of his spirit is for each and every one of us. It's for each and every one of us. And I think sometimes God chooses people who don't look the best. Like his older brothers were strong, again, great warriors, And the Lord said, no, I haven't anointed those. It was David who was out tending his sheep who the Lord said, this is the one. I'm going to anoint him. How do we know if we can get chosen? How do we know that we could be called and chosen by God? I think there's quite a simple response, and the response is yes. And I think David shows his yes by going, I've been anointed by God. He is with me. So then when he faces Goliath and the enemy, he goes, my God is with me. Me plus God is the majority. Um, So I can overcome this enemy. And I think there's something really important about saying yes to the call that God has for us and for our lives. To seek that out um, and to say yes. And interestingly, the older brothers being strong and warriors, they had the opportunity to fight Goliath and the enemies of God before Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint them. And they said, oh, no, no, Goliath's a bit big. I don't want to fight him. But God knew that David, with the anointing, would say, yes, I am willing to face this mountain, this enemy of the people of God. I just wanted to really encourage us that each of us have the call of God on our lives. And saying yes to him and yes to the Holy Spirit is the way of receiving that, to know that God walks with us every day. So if we're called by God and and given a purpose for our lives and that with God we can conquer giants and the enemies that face us as people of God, then what? How do we live out our Christian call? I'd just like to pull out three things from David that just might encourage us on our walk. We're called and chosen. We say, yes, Lord, I'm going to run this race with you. There's some three great things in the story of David that I just pulled out that might just encourage us. Firstly, to wait. 
David was anointed king over all of Israel, but it was 20 years from when he was anointed to when he actually became king. We're so impatient for things to happen in our lives. Um, I definitely am. I want to see things happen now, and any promises that I feel like God's spoken over my life, I want to see them come to fruition now. But we can take real encouragement from David here that he had 20 years of faithfully waiting for that anointing and call of God in his life to come to fruition. And he didn't just go back to tending his sheep. But he waited with an integrity and an authority. David held on to that promise of God. There's that really funny story, I think, in the story of David where Saul is pretty angry that David's been anointed. And Saul goes with loads of his men um, looking for David. And David's on the run a little bit. And he hides deep out in the cave. And Saul uh, needs to relieve himself. Saul needs to go to the toilet. And he sees the cave, and he goes in and starts doing his business. And um, all of David's men are there and like, that's all. God's delivered him into your hands. You can go and kill him. You can go and kill him. You can go and kill him. So he's being egged on by his men. But David realizes that Saul has been anointed by God for a particular purpose at this time. And he goes up to him, and he just cuts the edge off of Saul's cloak um, while Saul is doing his business. And he shows mercy to Saul in that time. And he even, like, he even says he feels bad about that, about the fact that he cut off a bit of his cloak. So when Saul's kind of marching out of the cave with all of his men, David goes after him and he's like, hey, Saul, I cut off a little bit of your cloak. I'm not going to harm the Lord's anointed. So he waited in integrity, even though he knew the call that God had in his life. And that in the time of kind of waiting for God's call and fruition to come into our life. He has so much for us, and he has so much that he wants to share with us and grow with us, and those roots of our lives to go really deep, to dig into scripture and to the Lord and to who he says he is, and that those things will prepare us for seeing God's call of our life come to be. David is certainly a worshiper, so he waited on God and he is a worshipper. So this is later on when he's king now. This is in 2 Samuel. David gets all of his buddies, and he goes and gets the ark and brings it back. And with the ark, with, I think, 30,000 men or something like that, he sings music and praises of God with all of their might, with harps and timbrels and cymbals and instruments that I've never even heard of, bulls with all of his might before the ark of the Lord. Worship is so important on our walk because it reminds us of who God is and it reminds us of who we are. As we come into his presence, we're reminded again, ah, Lord, you are king. You are Lord of all. You are the one who saves. And it reminds us of who we are. I am your beloved son. I am your beloved daughter who you're pleased with, and I'm sitting on your lap. You are pleased with me. Worship is so, so important. David also just worships God, and he's completely undignified. It says, with all his might. And there's one bit where David dances before the Lord in just his cloth, with wearing a linen ephod. I don't really know what a linen ephod is, but um, there's something about being undignified before the Lord, 
to say, Lord, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our praises. I've often shared, as I've led worship sometimes, about why it's important to worship God, not only with our voices, but also with our bodies. And in terms of putting our hands in the air, or dancing sometimes when it calls for dancing. And I've pondered on this, and I, I feel like any tiny step we take towards God in laying ourselves down before him, he rushes towards us. So we're saying, Lord, not only am I going to worship you with my voice, but with my body as well am I going to praise you. And that little steps that we take towards him, he rushes towards us. So I just, again, encourage you on this walk as you're waiting to see God's call come to fruition in your life. Worship with all your might as we're reminded about who God is and who we are. And we can worship with our bodies as we lift our hands towards him and take those little steps of surrender to look probably a little bit silly. God rushes towards us. It's very, very powerful. And the last thing is weakness, to acknowledge our weakness. We need the grace and the mercy of God. There's stories in Samuel where David really mucks it up, struggles with lust, murders someone. And this is when he's been king a while. He was a man after God's own heart, but he still really mucked it up. And we can take a lot of encouragement from this. I don't know about you, but I am... Um, I get frustrated with my sin, with myself about my sin. I, I'm always like, God, you've done great things in my life. I want to live for you. But I just still muck it up so often, get it wrong so many times. So just to come to the Lord, acknowledge our weakness and the importance of repentance and again to fall on his grace. There's a beautiful psalm that David writes in Psalm 51. David wrote about two-thirds of the psalm. And there's Psalm 51, have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. And in your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. He knew how to repent. And I would say that it's because of sin that we can experience grace and mercy all the more. And he cries later in the psalm, a pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of your help, and with a spirit of fervor sustain me. So we can relax, I think, into the knowledge that we're going to get it wrong, and that God's mercy and grace is enough. We can relax into that as we live out the call of God in our lives. God still calls and God still wants us and God still uses us despite our failings. There's a beautiful, beautiful song by a worship leader called Misty Edwards. She worships at a church and a prayer movement, worship movement in IHOP, International House of Prayer, over in the States. And um, there's this beautiful song and it's God kind of singing or speaking over us. And it says this, I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into when I called your name, but I said it just the same. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into when I chose you. And it says later in the song, I'm not shocked by your weakness. I'm not shocked by your sin. 
And that is so amazing. I take courage from that, that God knew how David's life would play out. And he knew how he'd seriously going to muck it up. And he called him anyway. God knows how our life is going to play out. He sees the end and he calls us. He knows what he was getting into when he said our name. And he says, I want you. I call you. God's grace is enough for us.